everyone. Uh, before we start this week's This Week in Blurance Ball, just a little bit of a disclaimer. At the beginning of the episode, we deal with some of the racial issues about police brutality and protests going on in the United States. We know this could be a bit of a touchy subject for everyone, but we really feel it's important that you listen to it. And, again, from both of us here, like, we know these conversations are difficult to have, but they're important ones to have, and not ones you would expect from a pair of goofballs talking about cartoons and baseball, but this affects everyone. So we really hope you listen to this week's podcast and take a moment to just, you know, find ways to be part of the solution going forward. Now, if you don't want to listen to that part, um, ask a pair of goofballs, we totally get it, and... Uh, if you skip about eight minutes of the podcast, you'll find them fantastic, back to our normal, joking about baseball and cartoons. But we really do recommend that you listen to that part. We feel it's really important that everybody confronts this issue head on. And from everyone here at This Week in Blurns Ball, all, all we can say is, you know, don't be afraid to talk about the, these issues. You know, be active. Listen to what people's experiences are and do as much as you can to learn more so you can actively contribute. And now it's time for this week's Learns Ball. Welcome to This Week in Blurns Ball, where if you're ever offered horse Pepsi, you say nay. I'm your co-host, Benjamin Bloom, and with me as always is Jacob Morris, and yeah, it has been a goddamn week. Yeah, you can say that again. It has been a goddamn week. Yeah, uh, definitely been a goddamn week. Uh, and I feel like, you know, we have to start this week with the elephant in the room. And, yeah, I mean, like, for those of you who've been listening to our podcast for a long time, we are far from serious people. We're two goofballs talking about cartoons and baseball, and then for the past however many episodes, baseball movies. But, you know, like, what's happening in the world, like, inevitably affects what, what we talk about. Like, we've been talking about the coronavirus pandemic, and now we have an even scarier issue happening in the United States where well, on camera you literally saw like a person die with police on top of them. Just, like, there's no other way of saying this, for the crime of being black. Like, I hate to even say those words because it makes me sick that that is an actual reality, but that is the reality for people. And it, it's, it's horrible, and we've seen, like, justifiably protests across the, across the United States, around the world. And, I mean, like, both you and I, before we started recording, we noted the same thing. That, you know, like, when you go on social media, you see 
Like you'll see public figures making statements about this. You'll see professional athletes making statements about this. You'll even see like pro sports leagues making a statement about this. But of the four North American major sports leagues, MLB has not posted a single thing in response to what's been going on. Very disappointed in MLB for that. Uh, for a league that was really once at the forefront of Big Four in terms of racial equality, in terms of uh, the civil rights movement, in terms of they brought Jackie Robinson in, and that was a huge moment in the civil rights movement. And now they have Jackie Robinson Day every year. They try and show how enlightened they were and how enlightened they are and try and continue to be. And they don't have something like that. It's really disappointing to see the baseball isn't continuing that mission that they've tried to be on. And baseball isn't perfect in terms of its history of racial inclusion. I mean, it, it even it even took the Red Sox until 1959 to add their first black player, which you know is something that is just part of the Red Sox history and it's something that you know like people should learn from and you even had a couple years ago when the Orioles Adam Jones was the subject of racial taunts while at Fenway Park and the next day Mookie Betts comes out and says that is completely unacceptable you have the whole team coming out saying that's unacceptable because to paraphrase what Mookie was saying if I was wearing a different you know, shirt color, you would have been directing those insults at me. Like, there's deeper issues, obviously. And when even the NFL says something, the NFL, the one that, you know, is all but blacklisted Colin Kaepernick for taking a knee to protest, you know, police brutality and racial inequality in the country, if even they are saying something for as hypocritical as that looks, it's something, right? Yeah, it's something. I mean, their statement was far from great, but they did something. And MLB to this point, and we're recording on Wednesday morning, has done nothing. They've said nothing. Now, about a dozen of their teams have said something, and it's not mm-hmm. a great ratio. Uh, considering there's 30 teams, and we're talking about less than half, that's kind of sad. And it... It's as easy, it could have been as easy as retweeting one of those organizations or retweeting some of Major League Baseball's players who have come out and made strong statements, Mookie Betts included. And then you have teams like the Tampa Bay Rays who go a step further, who, you know, in their post pledge $100,000 a year to support causes in the fight against systemic racism. I'm quoting from their post right now. And yeah, like, like I've, I didn't realize MLB had said anything until the Athletics Mark Carrig wrote about it. And then I went and looked at every single league. I remember seeing the NFLs, even the NHL, which this season alone has, you know, come like publicly come face to face with its own issues of racism in the sport. Like they put out a statement, the NBA, which is, you know, we've seen in the past become the standard bearer for, you know, social issues. Like they've been, they've been active in this. And I guess the best, best thing that the two of us can do is, you know, like just encourage people to, 
you know, read more about what's going on. If there are causes that, that, you know, like we've seen celebrities, you know, like donate to bail funds, like, like we don't want to solicit anything. Just go and get educated, go and figure out what the hell is going on and, you know, make change beyond social media. Like, like, this isn't either of our lived experiences. Like, we were, we were both, we were both born, you know, privileged and white and just get educated, read about this and listen. Like, take a minute to listen. That's the biggest thing. If you want to actually be of support, listen first and then act. That's, that's all I can say. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to think about it. It's listen first. And understand the lived experiences of the people that are actually going through this. We were very privileged to be born white and in Canada, where we're not having to go through this every day. And that's a really scary thing that we're being forced to confront now. That there are people who every single day have to live through something like this, and that we don't have to. And that we have the privilege to sit and make a podcast where we make jokes about baseball and cartoons is really a privilege. Um, and, you know, I think that's kind of all I have to say about that. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, we, we don't want to sound disingenuous. We won't, don't want to sound self-congratulatory because both of us right now, we have pained looks on our faces because this is a serious goddamn issue. Like, well, I think, you know, education and listening will leave it at that because that's what the two of us are doing. That's what we're trying to do. Like we're far from perfect. We just want to, we want to learn more and do more. Uh, I think the message is we can be better and everybody should try to be better. Absolutely. So moving on to baseball. Uh, yes. Outside of uh, the George Floyd issue, it's been a rough week for baseball, too. Uh, so we'll talk about the other elephant in the room, the Oakland A's. Uh, they cut their minor league players' pay this week, uh, essentially saying to them, you have to stay in playing shape in case we recall you at any point, but there won't be any pay for you for doing so. I mean, that's ridiculous. Like, what other workplace demands something like that? That is, that, it's, it's really just, you know, it really speaks to what's been happening in this, you know, like, ongoing negotiation between ownership and players that, like, you have the players in, like, outside of the major leagues who are in such precarious position and you're really at the whim of ownership. And even something I noticed was, you know, when the Nationals were looking to do something similar, it was members of the big league club who were offering to stake the players, the minor league players' salaries, until the Nationals eventually, you know, did that themselves. So in that case, it looked as though, like, the team saw, oh, God, like, our players are like sticking up for something and this looks really bad on us for not doing anything. Yeah, uh, and it hasn't been a good look for any team. 
teams. I mean, even teams that have holding on to both. It's not even salary, it's stipend that they're paying. They've been cutting a lot of players. The Blue Jays have committed to paying the $400 a week stipend to all of their minor leaguers that they have. But they cut close to 50 players this past year. And then you even look at teams who are either furloughing like members of their staff, outright firing them. Like there, there's like the the economic consequences of the pandemic are going to be felt by everyone, and they already are being felt by everyone. But these are goddamn billionaires, right? Like there has to be money somewhere to like like float it or get a loan from the banks that are still like still afloat. Like I mean. I've seen this like many times, and I don't even know if it's hyperbole or not. But baseball is at risk of becoming culturally irrelevant. Yeah, I agree with that kind of statement. Where if they're going to do this to themselves, and this is all self-inflicted wounds, I see them becoming uh, not irrelevant, but kind of that one A tier of sport, along with hockey in the United States and MLS, where people don't care about them as much because of this continued labor strike going on. Absolutely. I mean, like, people will find other things to watch in the summer. And if the MLS figures out its own potential lockout situation, it could just be soccer. It could be as easy as that. Well, then even talking about lockout situation, we might not even have baseball this summer. <laughs> that's, that's the thing. Like... <laughs> I'm shaking my head in disbelief because, yeah, like, there's still no framework, no even agreed upon preliminary structure. Yeah, and as we said here again, Wednesday morning, uh, it seems like this week is kind of the make it or break it week for if we're going to have a season this year. So the players have countered to the owners' 81-game season with a 114-game season, and the owners came back with a 50-game season, uh, which is just ridiculously short. Uh, but it seems as if at least they've kind of come to grips on payroll parameters, which, I mean, that seems like it's at least a movement forward, where it would be based on just the amount of games played rather than a sliding scale or some other sort of uh, work out there. And when you have negotiations like that, where you have such a discrepancy in, you know, even something as simple as games played, because the owner's are like, oh, if it's 50 games, we only have to pay 50 games. Like, are you fucking kidding me? I mean, how's it going to look if, and again, like all, like every single pro sporting team's return is conditional on how the jurisdictions are handling COVID-19. But let's say the NHL does come back, and let's say the NBA does come back, and it's August, and you're watching hockey and basketball, and you don't have baseball because they're arguing. How many young kids are going to be like, screw that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, tons of young kids may screw that. I know I'd be in the position where I'd kind of say, well, screw that. Because uh, they've thrown aside the chance to be the first sport back, and they would be the first sport back. They'd be back mm -hmm. at the beginning of July because of dollars and cents. 
and they're losing a full season. Well, a half season, but a full half season. Because of money. Not because of the pandemic. If it was it wasn't safe for them to come back and they really felt that it was unhealthy for them to come back, everyone would forgive them for that. And even if you had the owners just straight up lying and saying, Oh, it's because of the pandemic we're closing but but you know, in in, in with their inside voices saying we're gonna lose a shit ton of money, then at least the lie of safety is out there, but now they don't even have that to fall back on. Like, if they go turn around and say, Oh, we decided it's actually unsafe, it's like bullshit. Like, we've seen the public squabbles over compensation. Yeah, and because we've seen those public squabbles, we know that you think it is safe, and we know that you think that there's money to be made here, obviously, because you're willing to go and do it, and you obviously think that you'd be willing to go and do it for money because you guys are rich and you are good at making money because of this. Matt, how how could they just bobble such a slow rolling grounder? It's baseball. We kind of are given to expect that. Yeah. I will say, though, even with all these back and forth negotiations, we still have people listening to this podcast. We haven't talked about an, a live game yet in our podcast's existence. I know. That's a bit, well, that is so us that we finally, <laughs> after all these years of talking, let's have a baseball podcast. Let's have a baseball podcast. We start one, and then there's no baseball. <laughs> and we have a good premise, and we have fun elements, but we don't have any. <laughs> Friggin' baseball. And to that note, I mentioned to you over the weekend, but declined to follow up because I figured I'd save it for now. We got our first fan letter for the TWI Blurred Ball podcast. And it's from a someone who's actually featured on this podcast in story form. My cousin Mark, who, if you'll remember, one of my throwback games of the week was there with me in 2007 at Game 1 of the World Series. Oh yes, Cousin Mark. Yes, I recall him. <laughs> so not only is he listening to the podcast, he's enjoying the podcast, he's gambling on our bracket. <laughs> and he's accusing us of collusion to boot. <laughs> I mean, we're not colluding. <laughs> no, not at all. There are, there's definitely objective criteria for me. <laughs> so who has he picked to be the winner? So he he believes, and he, he's put the chatter behind it to boot, that we're gonna that the finals are gonna be a league of their own versus Bull Durham, or in his words, Thelma versus Louise. Ooh, that is a good bracket. That is that is what I'm kind of thinking that it will be, but who knows how the matchups go down. I mean, at this point, we do we actively work to avoid that so he loses his bet, or do we work for that so he wins his money because he's our only fan who's written in? Uh, you have an interesting point there. Your ideas intrigue me, and I wish to subscribe to your podcast. Remember, <laughs> if you do subscribe to our podcast, give us a good review. Or, or, or some fan mail. We're, we're good with the fan mail. Fan mail is good. We enjoy fan mail. 
And I mean, I can think of no better segue than that into our actual bracket. So again, we promise there is no collusion, but if the results end up the way we had just said they do, that's not our fault. That's, that's just the evil brain spawn. Yes. Like we said, no collusion. No collusion. Not in a guilty sense. So, it's our final round of the Elite Eight. And we have probably our most anticipated matchup just because the two of us have been you know, clamoring for this from the beginning. And we saved this for the end purposely. Bull Durham versus 61. Oh boy. I know. Holy, holy shit. It's We've been, this is, this is, this is Phil Collins in the air tonight. This is, like, we've been waiting for this and just bring a drum solo our way through it. Yeah, so these are two drastically different movies to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, we start with the fact that one was not released in theaters, one is an HBO original. Not to take anything away from it, but it's an HBO original. I mean, HBO is where all the best content is now, but... Again, this is 2001 HBO. Okay, that's, so, that's the wire era. That's good HBO. Mm-hmm. But then again, it's only, like, it's it, it's less prevalent in people's homes. Like, it's still, because there's still no internet to, you know, message board over. There. Now, we're talking about a star-studded cast versus a cast of virtual unknowns. But the thing the virtual unknowns is, is that we get to pretend that they actually are Mantle and Maris and the cast of those 61 Yankees. We aren't distracted by the fact that, oh, hey, there we go. That's that guy that I know. That's Susan Sarandon. That's, that's Kevin Costner. And that's the amazing thing about 61. To this day, I still refer to Barry Pepper as Roger Maris. Was Roger Maris in '61, and and Thomas Jane did an exceptional job as Mantle. Like, like we can't sell his performance short. I mean, like, like you you envision Mickey Mantle like the probably the one of the most famous athletes of the 20th century. Like Thomas Jane nails him to a T as like this gregarious, larger-than-life personality in public, and this tragic, damaged person in private life. Yeah, uh, 61 was a phenomenal piece of filmmaking, and I'm talking about a Billy Crystal drama as a phenomenal piece of filmmaking. That's astounding. Because uh, Billy Crystal, at his core, is a comedian, but this is one of those, it was a passion project for him. Uh, Billy Crystal is the ultimate Yankees fan. Uh, he is to the Yankees as Spike Lee is to the uh, as Spike Lee is to the Dicks as Jack Nicholson, not Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholas. No, Nicholson. I got it right. Nicholson, yeah. As Jack Nicholson <laughs> is to the Lakers. Uh, he and, is yeah. a Yankees fan, so when he was putting all of his creative efforts into this, you knew you were going to get something good. And you ended up with something great and telling a story that I'd say for a 
large part of baseball history was a really misunderstood one. Because the movie shows like the machinations behind the scenes that worked against Maris that put the asterisk there. Yeah, uh, I'd say that until I watched this movie, I really didn't understand the story of the 61. Uh, it really brought it into a new light for me. Uh, and there aren't many baseball movies, I would say, do that for, for my understanding of baseball history. And yeah, like I can remember as a kid, like having a baseball card that had um, that that had four players on it, and it was like the single season home run baseball card, and it went McGuire, Sosa, Maris, Ruth. I knew who three of the four of those guys were because, like, you know, I'm a little kid in the late '90s. I didn't know who Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire are, and since I have a pulse, I know who Babe Ruth is. I'm like, who's Roger Maris? <laughs> And then you watch the movie, and it's like, holy shit, that's Roger Maris. Yeah, he was the forgotten champ. And part of that was he played on those Yankees where he had Mickey Mantle, and Mickey Mantle was the man. Yeah. And you go through this movie, and even, like, you even have Anthony Michael Hall playing Whitey Ford, the role he was born to play. Yeah, seriously. He is, he is wasted in every other role, because he's just and you know you, you follow along this crazy season and and then you look at the fact that like it's such an incredible like unique friendship that Mansell and Maris have now hold on are we seriously discussing putting 61 in over Boldura you see that's 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 the crazy thing I mean like Maybe I'm still mad that 61 wasn't included in the best all-time sports movies in The Athletic because it wasn't wide-released. Maybe I'm still bitter about that, and I'm a very bitter person. <laughs> but, but again, if we go across the aisle to Bull Durham, calling it the slap shot of baseball movies is a disservice to, to everyone involved in that sentence because... Bull Durham is, I would argue, like, the foundational baseball movie of modern filmmaking. Like, nothing comes close to it since it's, since it came out. Yeah, it's, it stands alone. There's a reason we made it a one scene. It's because it's Bull Frickin' Durham. Uh, it's the Church of Baseball. And when Susan Sarandon says, you know, I believe in the Church of Baseball, we said about Field of Dreams being that chapter one. But in our universe, not the Posterverse, Bull Durham is probably chapter one of the Church of Baseball, or at the very least the Church of Baseball films. Uh, Absolutely. It shows us what it's like in the minors. It, well, to an extent, what it's like in the minors. To, to an extent, of course. Like, it's, it's still dramatized and... But it's also objectively hilarious. You have the meeting on the mound that brings in everyone, and then you have you have the bench coach coming out and Kevin Costner explaining everyone's single problems. You know, we need to figure out what to get for his wedding. We need to find a live chicken to sacrifice so he stops making errors. I'm pretty sure new shoppers are one. Basically, we're dealing with a lot of shit, 
And then Robert Wool says, because Robert Wool has to be in every single late 80s movie, well, uh, Carol's picks are good. Alright, go get him. <laughs> it's just like the absurdity and the brilliance of, of scenes like that. And even, even Crash Davis' speech and what he believes. I mean, he believes there ought to be a constitutional amendment outlawing astroturf and the designated hitter. Also, he thinks Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. Don't tell that to real-life Kevin Costner who shows up in JFK a few years later. Right? right. I mean, <laughs> no, that movie was just ridiculous. But that's another story. Yeah, like, what the shit? Like, listen, Crash Davis, listen to yourself. Don't go become Jim Garrigan. Yeah. Um, um, oh, man. Oh. <laughs> JFK was just such a dumb movie. But... <laughs> I'm stuck on that now. <laughs> God damn it, Oliver Stone. Just go back to making Platoon. Yeah. So, God, I love that movie. Terrific movie. Um, Bull Durham is probably the defining baseball movie, and it's so quotable. Like, how you just rang off a whole bunch of quotes from it. I love that goddamn movie. Like, Seeing that movie was like the first time I'm like, oh shit, movies can be this funny and this inappropriate and like be allowed to be seen in daylight hours. Right? <laughs> I don't know which one, and I think we're going to come down to our tests again. We, I think we kind of have to because we both have deep feelings about these two movies, and you know who we haven't even mentioned once in talking about Bull Durham? Tim Goddamn Robbins. Every single time we've mentioned Bull Durham, we have not mentioned Tim Robbins. You're absolutely correct. This is... I, holy shit. I mean, he plays Heavy Calvin, Nuke Lelouch to a T. And he was, he was my mountain like, when this movie came out. This is pre-Shawshank. This is... This is where he met Susan Sarandon. Like, so this is pre him being famous for being attached to like one of like the all-time greatest female actors. Yeah, uh, and he nails that role. He's the up-and-coming star who needs that mentorship. He's trying to figure out that you know it's not all strike the guy out. He's also completely oblivious to everything else in the universe, and it shows. <laughs> oh, yeah, it shows. And he plays that, that it shows that he's completely oblivious to everything else. Yeah, that takes talent. It's it, it's like it's the King Joffrey paradox. Like, you hate Joffrey, but that's just because the actor does such a good job of making you hate them. Yeah, uh, it's like the actor who's good at playing the bad actor. It's very difficult to do. Yeah, like, one of the things I've heard actors say is it's really hard playing drunk because everyone always over-exaggerates it. That's like, an interesting take on it. I never would have thought of it that way, but yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, there's... There are lines from Bull Durham that I remember hearing on, like, playing high school baseball, being, like, you couldn't hit butter if you fell out of a fucking boat. That was an actual chirp still being used in... In like when I was playing high school baseball in the late two thousands, well, like that's an all time shirt. Yeah, comes from that movie. 
Well, it comes from Ron Shelton experiencing it in the minors and then putting it in the movie. And at this point in time, it's the only only cost per movie left. But it doesn't matter if we have a cost per movie or not. We're asking about what's the best movie. And I think we gotta go. We gotta go to the stats. Well, we're talking about how it's maintained in the same case. That's Bull Durham all the way. Because yeah. 61 is damaged by its low exposure. But in a way, doesn't it make it like Roger Maris? The world against him? No, you're really stretching to this one. But I don't I, disagree I don't, with you. It, it, right? My crazy machinations are coming true. Are, are we just doing this despite Cousin Mark? <laughs> no, I absolutely love Cousin Mark, but I feel like we need to have an honest debate to make him sweat a little about the, I can only assume, hundreds of thousands of dollars he bet on this. Of course. <laughs> you know, he's written into my past podcast before as well. I'm glad that he supports you so much. I know, it's great. Like, he, he taught me how to be funny as a kid, so I owe it to him to, you know, use that gift as much as possible. There you go. That's how it's done. Thank you, Cousin Mark. <laughs> and, yeah, going through, like, the stats again, like, if, again, if we go by strength of cast, like, you have some of, like, the, like, ultra-megawattage stars in Bull Durham versus not as, you know, recognizable, but they really become the characters in 61. And there's different approaches to it that way. Is it do we want the ultra high wattage stars showing up and destroying the show, or do we want the guys who aren't as recognizable really becoming those characters? And that's the thing; both work. Like it can be, you know, like three heavy hitters and a solid supporting cast, or it could be a moneyball esque group of actors, you know, performing outside of their recognized, you know, limits. That's fair. That's a very fair take on it. Um, and I think that it's not to take away anything from the cast of Bull Durham. No. They, they showed up and they performed, and it wasn't, you don't see it as, oh, that's Kevin Costner playing a role. He really becomes that role in the movie is absolutely still look at it and go, oh, that's still Kevin Costner. And do you, do you fault a movie for that? I mean, like the whole, like like the big thing about movies is you want to see actors you like in roles and really, you know, dive deep into those roles. I can't hold it against Bull Durham, who was supposed to be a big box office smash, and of course it was a big box office smash. Would it have been a big box office smash without Kevin Costner? Probably not. No, he is Crash Davis. Like, this is pre-Field of Dreams. This is Costner's first baseball movie. Like, people are like, wow, Crash Davis really calmed down in Field of Dreams. Yeah. And, yeah, like, all of that aside, I mean... Again, like, it's compelling cases for both. If we go with um, the battle of ongoing cultural significance, 
again, that one on paper, it looks to be a wash. Like, every sports movie is trying to be Bull Durham after Bull Durham gets made. Yeah, and Bull Durham is the standard for for what a sports movie looks like through the 80s, most of the 90s, and even into the 2000s. Uh, 61 is an echo of Bull Durham. It's, It's a more serious version of Bull Durham. Telling that story of the season, which Bull Durham also told the story of, just in a very different way. But do for sixty-one, do we get into the territory of oh, you could just read about it? it I, how much was written about it? I like Billy Crystal did a did baseball a service by making that movie and introducing a whole new generation to a forgotten baseball great. There's so much going for 61 outside of these standard tests that we've laid down to try and help us through the, the last bit of the last round. We're moneyballing the shit out of this. We really are. And keep in mind, Moneyball lost in the first round. Yeah, that was an upset, too. <laughs> it's making its own comeback here. Let's, let's look at strength of schedule. Okay, so Bull Durham by virtue of being a number one seed, took out number 16, the scout, that that was a walk. Then it goes up against 42, and we agonized over that. We legitimately agonized over that. Yeah, we legitimately agonized over that, and I think that that might even be a different, a different outcome in the bracket it started over later. Or if 42 was positioned differently, it, it, yeah, things could have been a lot different. And then you look at 61, it took out the Disney version of Angels in the Outfield, which is still a good movie to watch. And then it beats The Rookie. Like, holy fuck, that's Disney at its sports emotioniest. So that's, that's big. It's, it's with the top schedule. Yeah, this is by far, like, even with, like, even with, like, difficult, like, matches beforehand, this is... This is going to be, like, this is a vice grip, man. How do, how do we determine an edge? I don't know. Like, do we go lowest common denominator? If you ask someone to name a baseball movie, what do they name? What's more likely to be named? But is that a knock on the quality of 61? It's a knock on the quality of 61. I think it's again. Distributed was it? 61 was an HBO film back in the day when HBO wasn't HBO. Yeah, it was just HBO. Yeah. It was where you went for boxing and the like. Mm-hmm. And over the Sopranos. Exactly. I think they had started by that point. Yeah, so that movie, though, didn't change HBO. Durham changed sports movies. I think that's yeah. coming to. I really love 61. Oh, man. So do I. It's a great movie. And for anyone who doesn't list it on a list of all-time great sports movies, needs to get their head checked for gravel. It doesn't matter if there's an asterisk because it didn't come out in the theater. 
There's an asterisk in the goddamn title. That's the point. I mean, that is just... Even Mark McGuire had the sense to pay homage to Roger Maris when he broke the record, even though he may or may not have been, you know, using horse growers. Okay, enough of the not in no guilty scent line. <laughs> Just because something's not illegal, we know where this goes. <laughs> Does it make it more? I mean, 61, like, put up a hell of a fight. I mean, for a three seed, like, it's one of the three seeds that people would shake their heads. Like, really? You put that in, like, a top five, potentially. But yes, we would. Because the Elite Eight, which is what's expected of a three seed, or bows out for one seed. Yeah, like, it's not being, like, it, it's not it's not losing by much. No, we really agonized on that one, too. No, and and justifiably so. Like, we, we both love both movies. But I think we're both comfortable with the decision. Yes, we're both comfortable with this decision. So now we have our final four set. <sighs> it is going to be another pair of ridiculous matchups. Coming from the east, sorry, the west. East with a W. The east. Yes. A League of Their Own versus Pride of the Yankees. Holy goddamn shit. That is... Oh boy, that's a matchup. That is a matchup. Versus Bull Durham versus Bad News Bears. Oh my goodness, I almost forgot that we had Bad News Bears in there. So bad News Bears is still in this bracket. Because it should be. The scrappy underdogs keep fighting. And Bull Durham's a bunch of scrappy underdogs too, but they just made it big. They did. Oh boy, this oh. is this is going to be a slobber knocker of semifinals. Also, we've like, I'm still in disbelief that we've made it this far in the bracket and we haven't had an actual game of real life baseball. I know, and I think we're going to make it to the end of the bracket before we have a game of real life baseball. I feel like we need to even have like a bronze medal game just to prolong this stupid premise. <laughs> we might have to. Oh my god. <laughs> We've got four weeks left to the bronze medal match. That works for me. By then, either baseball's figured this shit out, or we need to come up with another bracket. Another bracket? What? Fictional players. Fictional? Oh, okay. And that can span TV and movies. Okay. Oh, so we can get the players from Pitch. That was a good idea. I miss Pitch. That gone too soon. Also, eastbound and down, we get Candy Powers. Oh, Candy Powers. And also the most underrated, you know, fictional athlete of all time, Vince LaSalle from Recess. Oh, man, oh. Vince was awesome. I think Vince goes a long way in that bracket. I mean, we gotta write this shit down. This is gonna be a an excellent bracket. See, we're, we're coming up with content until Major League Baseball figures their goddamn shit out. <laughs> yeah, they better give us some content soon, not just huge and squabbling content. 
Yeah, that doesn't count as content. That that is nonsense. <laughs> okay, so we figured out our bracket for this week, and we figured out our bracket for the future when there's still no baseball. Shall we do our classic games of the week? Yes, we shall. Would you like to go first? I shall go first. So my pick for classic game of the week, I seem to work on a theme for the last two weeks. <laughs> uh, is Game 5 of the 2015 ALCS. So Jays Royals, this is with Marco Estrada because Marco Estrada. Uh, the Jays have just been clobbered 14-2 in Game 4. They're down three games to one, so they must win at home. And Estrada, who had been just a gem all year, comes out and proves why he is top-line starter. Uh, goes seven and two-thirds innings, only allows one run on four hits, and pulls the Jays in the series. The Jays win the game five for one, and push it back to KC for signing game six. Uh, he was absolutely dominant at a time when he needed to be absolutely dominant. The changeup was working for him that game. Uh, he had KC off balance the entire night, and that was just a beautiful, beautiful game. From a guy who at the beginning of the season and started the end of the bullpen and proved that not only was he a starter, but he was a great starter. Uh, for those couple of years before the back injury really messed him up, he was a guy that you could rely on every day to be the guy that was really real, but he didn't have power and stuff. And I love pictures like that. I love the guys that, you know, like aren't, you know, touching the high 90s with their fastball and, you know, very change up reliance and know how to pitch games like like almost like a late career Greg Maddox type of guy or an every single day of his life Mark Burley. <laughs> yeah, oh man. Remember on that staff the Jays had Burley and Estrada. <laughs> That's right. I mean I'm even thinking of guys like Derek Lowe, who was like the Red Sox great change up artist of the mid two thousands. Like guys like that who figure out how to win games by just by absolute guile, deception, and really exceptional, like, poise under pressure. Yeah, those guys are the best kind of guys because it doesn't have to be overpowered. And Kyle Hendricks of the Cubs, oh, the professor. Kyle Hendricks is great doing that kind of stuff. Just because throw 98 doesn't mean you're going to be destroying guys because if it's 98 straight as an arrow, they can take it right back at you at 110. Roger Davis. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> Rodney Chapman is one of the great villains of baseball, and it was great to see that ball get taken back. And even though the Cubs end up winning, which is the great happy ending, we don't see one of the villains be the winner at the end. That was, that's still one of like the all-time like insane games of baseball I've ever watched. Yeah. Well, if I may take a second, uh, classic game, sixth game of 2019, yeah, the 2019 ALCS, where Aroldis Chapman blows the save, and then Roberto Asuna blows the save, and then I mean, like, these are guys who, off the field, are just assholes. Yeah, terrible guys off the field, but they can get any chances because they're good at baseball. And, and I know it's like, like, we can't help but, like, turn, like, sports into morality plays. And there is something extra about seeing the guys who are assholes off the field. Yeah. Like, it's nice to watch them. Yeah. 
And <laughs> yeah, I mean, ah <laughs> oh, man, like that Cubs game, that that Rajay Davis home run because. We both remember Rajay Davis from when he was a Blue Jay. Light hitting. I think he hit all the four home runs in his entire time as a Blue Jay. Yeah, like, and the one home run he hits is just because of physics and thermodynamics. Yeah, pretty much. Let's call it thermodynamics. Fuck, fuck, no. your classic game of the week. My classic game of the week is also going to be a recent classic. It's also going to be a game five. But it's Game 5 of the 2018 World Series. And, yes, it's the Red Sox clinching the 2018 World Series title. But more so, that was my first ever time I got to legitimately write about the Red Sox for my job. I remember sitting in the office with my colleague Steve... And I'm there in full, like, an entire, a full, like, head-to-toe Red Sox uniform. And he's laughing at me because, you know, he <laughs> he hates the Red Sox. But he could tell I was excited. And I'm so, I'm, like, it was a quiet night otherwise. Like, like we had all, like, like, we had both, like, kept the work, you know, like, everything was above board. But I'm taking notes throughout the whole game. So I have, like, a potential story ready to go on that last out. And as soon as Chris Sale, remember, Chris Sale comes into the ninth inning and makes Manny Machado look foolish with that last pitch. I'm like, dude, can I push breaking on this? He's like, yeah, go ahead. We send it off. And I, like, sheepishly say, okay, can I have my byline on it for, like, half an hour? Just because, as a Red Sox fan, I just wanted, like, just that moment of, like, holy shit, I reported for however long on a Red Sox game. We can put in Associated Press copy afterwards, but... And Steve, good guy that he is, like, through and through, like, one of, like, like one of the stand-up people I've met in my career, was like, go for it. I know, it was a nice moment. Especially for someone who I know, like, with every, like, ounce of his being, hates the Red Sox, and I don't hold that against them. And, yeah, so, like, you, you can go on my Instagram and see the screenshot. Because, remember Steve Pierce, also a former Blue Jay? He had two home runs in that game. And World Series MVP, Steve Pierce. World Series MVP, Steve Pierce. I remember when the Red Sox first got him, I'm like, oh, this should be interesting. Then he hits three home runs against the Yankees, and now he's my best friend. So, yeah, if I could rewatch that game without being on deadline, I'm sure I'd notice more things about it, but... I mean, that's Mookie Betts' ring with the Red Sox. I mean, that's Chris Sale's ring. That's David Price being vindicated. I know, I know, still a touchy subject in, in these parts. <laughs> but, man, that, that Alex Cora, who, again, not in a guilty sense. You did a lot of not in a guilty sense in this episode. <sighs> guilty consciences, man. <laughs> I know, well, in an episode that started with such a heavy, heavy stout jab. That's the world we're living in. Like, we're, we're being cautious, and there's nothing wrong with being cautious. Yes, exactly. Uh, so, Futurama episodes of the week. <laughs> oh, man. I was looking for something to just make me feel things, but then I started feeling too many things. I'm going with Luck of the Fryrish. Ooh, good one. I almost went with that one this week, too. I decided for it. <laughs> 
this is the one, like, it, it, it's more Fry's backstory in old New York. It's his brother Yancey, the Seven Leaf Clover, the Ronco Record Vault, and then, of course, the Breakfast Club soundtrack. I don't know if I said that already. Like, yeah, at, at the end of the episode, when, like, the whole, like, the whole time Fry thinks his brother stole his name, stole his lucky Seven Leaf Clover, and was living his life. We find out at the end that it was actually uh, Fry's nephew. Like, Yancey ends up having a son, and he names him after Fry, who had disappeared, and he misses him. And, like, it's about a kid living up to his, his dad's stories about his uncle. And, and then there's, like, and then, you know, the Breakfast Club music plays, and Fry gets emotional after an attempt at grave robbing. Let's not forget that that was part of it. Let's not forget there was an attempted grave robbing in that one, yes. <laughs> and... Oh man, remember when Fry punches a statue? He stole my life! And he broke my hand! His legend lives on! <laughs> okay, that was a good one. Uh, I'm going with a pharaoh to remember. Oh, that, that's a great one. Zoidberg singing Danny Boy. Danny boy, the pipes, the pipes are calling. Wait, Danny boy, you're singing about five year old. Uh, yeah. So, where they go to the ancient Egypt planet, where it turns out the aliens had visited ancient Egypt thousands of years ago and learned about the pyramids and space travel from the ancient Egyptians. And how to scare Abbott and Costello. Yes, and how to scare Abbott and Costello with their dad. <laughs> Uh, and then Bender uh, adjusts, if we shall say, the prophecy wall so that he becomes the next pharaoh. <laughs> and of course, is an evil pirate. Build me a statue a billion cubits high. It's big, but I wonder if it's too big. Are they going to remember the statue or me? Tear it down and try again. Pharaoh is dead. <laughs> he uh, mysteriously collapsed. Yay! Remember me! Remember me! He does the eyes shoot fire. Which one heck of a statue? Indeed. <laughs> so I think that brings us to the end of this week's This Week with Lawrence Ball. Yeah, I mean, probably the most serious we've gotten, but for justifiable reasons. And we hope you took away something from it. I mean, we hope you enjoyed the shenanigans as well, but again, there are resources out there if you want to learn more about what's been going on, not just in the U.S., even what's happening, what's been happening here in Canada along the issue of racial inequality and just out-and-out -out racism. And again, listen first, learn more. That's that's what we've been saying this whole time. That's that's the best advice we can offer, that we're qualified to offer. Exactly. And if you want to learn more, I would direct you to blacklivesmatter.ca. Uh, they've got great resources on that. And if you do want to help out with uh, any of the protests going on in the States, uh, I'd recommend that you donate to one of the many bail funds that are going on. Um, so we will post a link to that in the show notes. Absolutely. 
And again, for This Week in Learnsball and for Jacob Morris, I'm Benjamin Bloom. Thank you so much for joining us. Farewell from the world of tomorrow.